Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Well, we're going to be continuing here in uh, Mark. We're actually moving into a little bit of a new section in the Gospel after the five conflict stories in a row. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 19 today. Mark 3, 7 to 19. It'll be up here on the screen and also in your booklets. And as always, I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. So hear now the word of the living God. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed One of the things that Jesus has uh, spoken to the church about, really, uh, originally the phrase comes out of his, what we call his high priestly prayer in John 17, that he prayed for his disciples. He said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but as they're in the world that you would be with them, Father, that that we we would keep them even as they're in the world. And this idea of being in the world, but not of it, has been a challenge for the church from its earliest days. In the book of Acts, we read and see how Christians are oftentimes being persecuted, and that continued, of course, in the early years of the church in the Roman Empire. But over time, as the number of Christians grew and it began to be more acceptable to be a follower of Christ, and then especially when Uh, the empire actually said, hey, it's not only okay to be a Christian, in fact, we prefer if you are, great numbers of people suddenly flooded into the church. But the problem with that was, then at that point, many Christians in the church were really completely of the world. They were really only disciples in a very, very um, not deep sense, a very surface sense. Um, and so as a response to that, one of, the, one of the responses that came out of that was monasticism. 
There were other reasons for monasticism, but it in part was a way to not be of the world and to live as Christ commanded. They said, look, the churches are getting full of people who are not really living as Christ commanded. We're going to go off and separate from the world so that we can really be true, radical disciples. And of course, the problem with that was they were no longer in the world. In the East, they very often went out into the desert places and were actually completely by themselves. In the West, they tended to be in small little groups and communes, but they had very little contact with the world. And so there's been this tension in the history of the church of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, and how do I, how do I relate to the world? How am I in the world, but not of the world? How do I actually go on mission in the world, but not let the world be forming and shaping my agenda, but rather Jesus. And so we're going to be seeing this today because we're going to see the call of Jesus for his disciples relative to himself, to the crowds, and then also to even demonic forces that are around him. That's why we're calling it the crowds, the demons, and the disciples. But it's really all of them somewhat in relationship to Jesus. So first off, let's notice Jesus and the crowds. Jesus and the crowds. Now, in Mark 3, 7, again, remember, we've been through five straight conflict stories. And, and it ended in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, with the, the statement that the Pharisees decided what did they want to do with Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Okay, so the conflicts have been getting worse and worse and worse, and they finally are, you know, reaching the point that they want to kill him. And so in verse 7, we read, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and then a large crowd from Galilee follows. So once again, Jesus is going away from the village. He's going away from where he's been doing the ministry, and this is probably due to the conflict. Mark has given us these conflict stories. He's kind of grouped them together to say this is kind of what's going on at this time. But now he's saying, look, Jesus then again pulled outside because after all of that conflict, both he and the disciples need to be refreshed. But as we've seen time and again in Mark's gospel, virtually every time Jesus withdraws to go off and be by himself or be with the disciples, what happens? The crowds come up. Just remember again, you're kind of seeing, Mark doesn't come out and say it directly, but it's almost like when you're watching a movie and somebody doesn't realize they're breaking all the rules of etiquette and it's really uncomfortable to watch. That's kind of the way the crowds are here. They're constantly barging in uh, to what Jesus and the disciples are doing. Jesus has purposefully gone away, but the crowds are following him. And in fact here, Mark's letting us know, the crowds are more massive than they've ever been. Notice here in verses 7 to 9, he lists them, and he tells us first off that the crowd is huge. Notice in verse 7, uh, the NIV uses the phrase, it was a large crowd, and then in verse 8, the NIV translates it, many people. It's actually the same exact phrase in Greek. It just, in English, we don't like the repetition like that. In Greek, that's actually good. They like repetition like that. So, but it's the same phrase, and it, it is that it is a great multitude that is following after Jesus. So Mark is letting us know this is a huge crowd of people. Second, uh, secondly, notice in verse 9, it's such a large crowd. It again says that the crowd is there, and Jesus is taking precautions. So he gets his disciples, remember four of them are fishermen, and he says, yeah, we're going to put you guys' skills to use. Get a boat, have it ready on the shore, 
because this crowd is getting so big and they're basically about to crush Jesus is the picture that's going on here. They're crowding around him and we're going to see why that's happening in a minute. But notice, given that we've just gone through these five conflict stories, we need to pay attention to this because what we've seen is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or the scribes are irrevocably set against Jesus. They have already decided we're not going to listen. There's no more to be investigated. This guy needs to die. But Mark lets us know there are still many people who want to come to him. Don't mistake the five conflict stories and the Pharisees and the religious leaders as being everyone because they're not. There is opposition to Jesus, but there is also a great crowd that is coming to him. Secondly, and this is a little harder for us to get because we don't always know the geography, but notice he lists a bunch of places. At first he says the crowd's coming from Galilee, which is the region right there around him. But then he lists a whole bunch of different places, Judea and Jerusalem, which we have been told that's where John the Baptist was gathering his crowds from. But then across the Jordan to um, uh, including Idumea and across the Jordan and Tyre and Sidon. Idumea is about 120 miles away. So this is like withdrawing from Annapolis out into South County and hearing that crowds had come from Philadelphia. Okay? And remember, they're not jumping on a turnpike and driving. Okay? Now, what it's letting us know here is three different things. Number one, Jesus's fame is spreading far wider than John the Baptist ever did. John the Baptist had grabbed people, you know, basically Anne Arundel County in Central Maryland came around. Jesus is letting us know, no. I mean, I mean John, uh, Mark is letting us know, no, Jesus is gathering people from quite far away. Secondly, this is actually, don't miss this church, this is a foreshadowing of the church's call that we're going to be ministering in all the world. Some of these regions are predominantly Gentile. And even though Jesus will say, I, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, my mission is directly here, there's a foreshadowing here that the church is actually going to be carrying the message of Jesus out to the whole world. And thirdly, this is meant to be an encouragement to us. The fact is, there will always be conflict as we're walking with Jesus. But Jesus and the gospel have power to attract people always at all times no matter the conflict no matter what else is going on you, you can get z so zeroed in on the conflict you can forget the fact that we have good news and that good news does draw people in so mark is letting us know look i've given you five conflict stories and there's more conflict to come but don't forget the the magnetic attractive power of jesus christ and the gospel that he's proclaiming it is drawing people in let's be honest now if you had to walk or ride a donkey from here to Philadelphia, what would it take to get you to do that? Seriously. I mean, you know, I've said for years, when I was young, I loved going to like Six Flags. You know, we had one down in Atlanta. Uh, my idea now is if I'm going to stand in a line for two hours, Jesus Christ himself better be at the other end of that line because there is nothing worth me standing in line for two hours for and certainly not a roller coaster. I've done enough of them in my life, okay? If you're going to travel like this, there's got to be some power. And the power is Jesus himself. Now, Mark then goes on and he lets us know why the crowd is there. And the crowd is there for healing and miracles. Notice we're told in uh, verse 8 
that when they heard all he was doing, not what he was teaching, what he was doing. And then notice in verse 9, Jesus is telling them, you guys have got to have a boat ready. Why do they have to have a boat ready? Because everybody's crushing on top of them. They're not doing that because they're saying, I couldn't hear what he was saying because he's actually in kind of a natural amphitheater. They're doing that because they're trying to touch him. And notice, to keep the people from crowding him, for he'd healed so many that those with diseases are pushing forward to try and touch him. If you've ever been around a, a, a large crowd like that, it, it can get pretty dicey. I can remember uh, climbing Herndon Monument at the end of my plebe year, and everybody's rushing in, and Ryan, you're smiling over here because you know that experience, right? You kind of get in, and all of a sudden you realize, like, I couldn't get out of here if I wanted to. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm getting crushed in the midst of this, and that's what's going on here. The people are there. Now, I want to be clear. If you had a disease that you'd been trying your whole life to get rid of, and you heard that if you just touched this dude, it might be, everything might be changed. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I think that's terrible that they're doing that. Okay? Uh, it's not. I completely get it. I understand why they're doing that. But Mark is wanting to remind us, what's the real need of every human being? It's Jesus. The real need is not what I get from Jesus, but Jesus himself. He is the real treasure, not his power. And to know and to love him rather than to get things from him is the real need. And so Mark here, subtly, you remember what Jesus keeps going to? Jesus wants to teach the crowd because the gospel will save them. They could be physically healed, and we see stories in the Gospels. Ten people get healed, and nine go off and never come back, and only one actually comes back. And Jesus is like, where are the other nine? What, what went on there? We can get physically healed or financially blessed. We could get fed by Jesus multiplying the food, but if we have not received the Gospel of God, we've missed what Christ has really come to do. And so Mark is letting us know that the crowds, contrary to the Pharisees, they are open and interested in Jesus, but the fact is they've oftentimes got their own agenda. But notice what Jesus does. He's kind and he's merciful to the crowds. He still ministers to them, but what he doesn't do is let them set the agenda for him. Okay? So that's, that's one thing, and we as disciples need to be learning from our master here. He's not shut off to the crowds. He won't tell them, I won't have anything to do with you. But what he's not going to do is let them set the agenda. He's going to set the agenda, okay? There's a distinction there between them. Now, the next group that we run into in this passage is not the crowds who may have mixed motives. This is people who've got very opposed motives completely, which are the demons. So notice Jesus continues to confront demonic powers because as the crowd is pressing in, we read in verse 11, whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Now, of course, these aren't disembodied demons they're talking about. They're in the midst of the people. But as they are coming and they're coming into contact with Jesus, the evil spirits immediately begin to react to the presence of Jesus Christ. And this again goes back, almost everything in this passage goes back to the early part of Mark chapter one. It all 
trails back to that early section. And you remember when Jesus was baptized, he went out into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit out there, and he was immediately in conflict with who? Satan. And, and he overcomes Satan in that battle. This is a reminder of the battle still raging, okay? Satan has tried. He lost round one, but he's back, and he's still there. He's working through the demonic powers there. It is still going strong. And there's a bit of irony here because the crowds don't really get who Jesus is. He seems to be a miracle worker. They're glad for that, but they don't understand who he is. And the fact is, do the disciples yet really understand who he is? I mean, I was just reading this morning my quiet time, uh, I'm kind of reading through the Bible and I have some Old Testament new, and this morning it was Mark chapter four. Um, and at the end uh, of Mark, you've got the section where Jesus is out and he rebukes the wind and the waves and it dies down. Does anybody remember what the disciples' question is? Who is this? Wow, we're already a quarter of the way through the gospel and you guys are still admitting you don't know who he is. And they don't. But you know who does know who he is? The demons. They get it immediately. Notice they, they recognize Jesus even when others don't. And, they, and what they recognize is all the way back to Mark 1.1. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the demons fall down and they're like, we know who you are. You are the Son of God. Now, we might expect, because this is so often how we do, let's be honest, what, what would a televangelist today do? If somebody said, I know who you are, you are the anointed one of God, God is working through you, what would we do? We would have that playing on endless loop on our website, right? Is that what Jesus does? Does he say, hey, could you say that again so everybody can hear who I am? What are we told that he does? Stop, be quiet. He silences them. And he refuses to let them give testimony of his identity. Now, number one, it's because it's not the time for open proclamation, when Jesus really begins to openly proclaim it, what's going to happen soon after? He's going to be crucified, okay? There's more ministry still to be done, so he is still being very careful in what he does, and he's going to control when his identity is revealed. It's not going to be forced upon him by anyone else. We, we have a gentle rebuke to Mary, you remember, in John's gospel, it's not yet my time, okay? The demons are trying to bring out, and Jesus is going to control when that is. But secondly, Jesus is not interested in assistance from the powers of darkness because the two kingdoms are utterly opposed to one another. They are in complete conflict with one another, and so there's nothing they can say or do that will assist in his mission. So he says, no, you be quiet. You're not going to participate in this. But notice what he does is he displays total authority over the demons. This is helping us ask that question, who is this? As we're reading Mark's gospel. Well, notice what he says. Number one, the demons fall prostrate before him. They see who he is. The crowds are not doing it, even the disciples. Everybody else is around. But when the demons see Jesus, they're hugging the dirt, okay? Which is exactly what we will probably do <laughs> on the day that his glory is revealed. Even when you get in the book of Revelation and John sees Jesus as he is, what does John, his best friend, do? Right, this is the guy who leaned over the night Jesus is betrayed, like, so you can share it with me, Lord. You can, you can give me the inside scoop. 
Then when he gets a vision and sees Jesus as he is, he's down. Okay, and that's exactly what the demons do. They fall prostrate. But number two, notice Jesus here, as the NIV puts it, he gives them strict orders. And the word orders, um, the, the Greek word epitomao is a, is a very strong word and it's oftentimes used to rebuke. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, same word. But where it's really interestingly used is in Zechariah chapter three, verse two. In Zechariah three, Zechariah has a vision and the high priest Joshua is standing there and he's in dirty, filthy clothes because he's sinned, he's fallen short and Satan is there. Does anybody remember what the word Satan means? the accuser, and he's there, and he's accusing Joshua, the high priest, okay? And the fact is Joshua has sinned. He has failed. But in the midst of the vision, all of a sudden, the Lord, this is the Yahweh, as we call it. This is the Lord. The Lord stands up, and the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. Same word is here. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Okay, same word is used here because we have the same conflict going on. In Zechariah, Satan is opposing Yahweh. In Mark, demons are opposing Jesus. And Mark's using the same word because he's letting us know it's the same battle. It's the same battle that's already went on. Just as a sideline, I wasn't even going to bring this up. I take it from the Spirit of the Lord. This is good news for you and me because the fact is, does Satan stand there to accuse you? Yes. Is he right in his accusations? Yes, he is. I mean, the reality is you don't know the half of it. Okay? But the good news is Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father and says, the Lord rebuke you. Shut your mouth. That is really good news. That is really, see, we lose it. He gives strict orders. This is really shut your mouth and Satan has to obey. That is good news for you and me. Friends, that's the gospel. That is how we are justified. The Lord silences the demons to set you and me free. So Jesus' preaching and ministry here are opening up confrontation with the forces of evil, but the good news for us to remember is, however strong they may appear to be, Jesus has utter, total authority over them, always. He determines what will happen and when it will happen. Now, the last group, then, is Jesus and the disciples, and this is really where Mark is wanting to drive. And so notice here in this passage we're getting that Jesus is going to appoint the 12 disciples. And what we're told is Jesus then leaves the crowds and he goes up on the mountainside and he calls to them those he wanted and they come to him and he appoints 12. Now again, Mark is pointing some things out that we can forget. But in ancient Israel and throughout much of the rest of the world, the disciples took the initiative, not the rabbi. The disciples came and said, I want to be your follower. Mark's going out of his way reminding that that is not how it happens. No, Jesus takes the initiative. And thanks be to God, because if it was up to us to take the initiative, how many of us in here would be disciples? None. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, I remind us. And dead people don't volunteer. They just don't. 
okay? So Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus calls them to, to himself, and he's calling them out of the large crowd. Get the picture he's saying before we even hear anything else. There's this massive crowd, and Jesus is on the mountain, and he is calling followers out of the crowd to come to him, and they are giving a definite response. And this is, again, parallel back. You remember we saw this in Mark chapter 1. In verses 16 to 20, Jesus is out there, there's things going on, and he's walking by Peter, Andrew, come follow me. James, John, come follow me. And they leave everything, and they come to be with him. Same exact pattern is following on here. And this is where Jesus appoints the famous 12 as his followers. Now, it's important for us to ask the question because it could be that what he is saying only applies to the 12. The 12 are clearly very important and distinct. You and I are not the 12. Never will be the 12. But what we're going to see is things that he is saying here really are applicable to all disciples. And I'll talk about what that means. So you notice in verse 12 that he's gone up on the mountainside and notice he's appointing 12. Can anybody think of another time in scripture where there's a mountain and the Lord calls 12 of something to him? Israel, Mount Sinai, 12 tribes, they come and the Lord is appointing and making them his people. This is clearly being done to be a, an echo of what went on at Mount Sinai. He is creating and appointing his people. And so what he's doing is he's creating, as it were, the fulfillment of the 12 tribes. This is the fulfillment of God's call to Israel. And this is so important because what we've been reading is all the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders at this time, what is, seems to be their universal response to Jesus? It's negative. that They're against him. In fact, they're wanting to kill him. Okay? But Jesus is here saying, that's okay because you're not going to thwart my eternal covenant. I'm calling 12. I'm going to reconstitute. What I was doing is still going to be fulfilled. And so these 12 clearly occupy a unique place in the history of the church. In fact, because if you think about it, in some, some translations, they even capitalize the T in 12. And the reason is Jesus is going to, I mean, Mark's going to use this reference 11 different times. I was surprised he didn't use it 12 times, but he uses it 11 times in his gospel where he just says the 12, the 12. These are not the only followers of Jesus, but the 12 occupy a very unique place. They are the foundation of the new covenant people of God, of the church, and they are a paradigm for all disciples who come after them. I'm going to spend a little bit more time in after hours today kind of breaking down the, the place of the 12 in the history of the church, their relationship to Israel, their relationship to the church, and, and how they relate to us. But, but notice here, they are there, they are unique, there's no question, but really what's going on is they are being a pattern for the rest of us. If you wanna know what it means to be a disciple, watch the 12, look what they're doing relative to Jesus. We may be learning what's wrong, as we oftentimes do, but how Jesus is relating to them is how he wants to relate to all of us. And so notice what he tells them. I've said all that to say, because what we're about to hear is is a key uh, essence of what it means to be a disciple. Jesus calls them and he appoints them and, and we're given two reasons 
what, what he wants them to do. There's two main parts of being a disciple. Number one, that they might be with him. And number two that I've got in the black there, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And that's not three things, it's two things. They might be with him and that he might send them out. To send them out's got two parts and we will come back to that, but that's what it means to be a disciple. Be with Jesus, be sent out by Jesus. So let's look at each of those really briefly. Number one, that they might be with him. If you want to say, what does it mean to be a disciple? That is the key essence right there, to be with Jesus. You remember in Mark 1, we looked, a disciple, it's not a term we use a lot, but it's similar to being an apprentice, okay, being a close follower. It's not just that I from somewhere download some information. It means I'm right there with him. He's teaching me. I'm learning, and I'm learning not only information. I'm learning his pattern, his way of life, how he becomes who he is. Everything about what he is doing, I'm right there to learn and to follow. And so uh, this is what it's doing. A disciple, again, is not just somebody who's remotely heard the words or the teaching. No, it is somebody who is with Jesus. And so um, Jesus here is doing this. And as Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and drive out demons, the disciples are going to learn that too, but they're going to do it by being with him. He's going to send them forth, but first they have to come and be with him because they can't go forth and do ministry until they've been with Jesus. And to the extent that they're not with Jesus, to that extent they're not going to be able to go out and do ministry. This is the heart of discipleship and where everything flows. Uh, and let me be clear, this call never ends. It's not, you know, I had that time where I became a Christian and it was like the disciples getting called up to Jesus on the mountainside and I spent my couple years and now I'm good to go. How often do we need to be with Jesus? Every day we need to be with him because the point, the heart of discipleship, this is eternal. It's being with Jesus. It's worshiping Jesus. It's coming to know Jesus. It is loving Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. There is no, I don't care. There, there are people who have spent their whole lives studying the life of Jesus, and they're not disciples. They've got more knowledge about Jesus and things that went on than I do but they don't love him. It's external information that they're attracting. It's like I'm studying the life of George Washington. I don't like Washington. Or, you know, I'm studying the life of, pick somebody that I really don't like. Okay, that, that's not what this is. A disciple ultimately loves Jesus. They just want to be with him because he is worth being with. So discipleship, first off, requires us to come out of the crowd to be with Jesus. It does not happen in the midst of the crowd. It just simply can't. Notice the pattern Jesus calls it. He could have appointed the 12 right there in front of everybody. In fact, he would have had certain advantages, right? Everybody would have seen it happen, but he doesn't do that. It happens when we come out. And this part of being with Jesus is the first thing where we say, you know, the four parts are love, connect, serve, reach. This is love our God 
That's what discipleship is about. And let me say, the crowds, then and now, they desperately need disciples to be with Jesus. Every week, I end by saying, you are blessed, go forth and what? Be a blessing, okay? This community desperately needs you and I to be blessings. And I can only be a blessing to the extent I am with Jesus. They don't need me. They just don't. I don't really have anything to offer them. Jesus has something to offer them. And so we begin with love our God, and I want to remind us, the crowds, and, and please hear, remember these crowds, they're kind of back and forth, and at the end of Mark's gospel, if we know the story, we're going to be there, and, and what are the crowds going to be shouting? Crucify him, right? So, so this crowd is not always benign. You may have noticed if you've been a disciple for longer than like 14 seconds, does the world always like what we have to say or do? They don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're just excited about it all, right? They don't. But that's okay. We need to understand, I'm with Jesus, and then I'm able to go back to them because whatever they're inflicting, it's okay because I'm back with Jesus and he heals and ministers and then goes back out. And that leads to the second part, which is he did this so that they might be with him, and then secondly, that he might send them out. And those two that's, are really there in the Greek and, they're, and they're, they lead into what's known as a purpose clause. This is why he did it. He did it so that they might be with him and then he did it so that he might send them out. And so we are called out of the crowd to be with Jesus, but then he sends us back to that same crowd on mission. We don't leave the crowd behind permanently. We come out to be trained and to be sent back. We come out to be with Jesus, to fall in love with him more, and then to go back out. Now, sometimes it's a whole lot easier. Matter of fact, not sometimes. All the time. It's easier to be with Jesus. If you don't get along with Jesus, I'm going to go ahead and wager you're the problem. Okay? I've never yet in all my years of walking with Jesus, 45 years, I've never come to the end and had the Lord say, okay, this time you were right, Brett, I was the problem. <laughs> Just not gonna happen, okay? He's easy to get along with. He's gracious, he's kind. The very people we're ministering to are often not. It is difficult. So, so there can be a temptation to say, you know what, I'm just gonna be with Jesus and let the world do what the world, but see, that's not the call. We're with him so that we might be sent back into the world. And notice there's two key parts of the mission here. So we don't even have to wonder what it means to be with the world. Because again, sometimes we like one part of this, better, but we need both. The first part of us being sent back into the world means we preach, we proclaim the gospel. Might send them out to preach to proclaim, and this means a verbal sharing of the gospel. And you know, there's a popular thing that we hear, you know, uh, St. Francis, you know, supposedly said, you know, uh, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. You have to. Amen. There is no not using words, because just being nice to people is not gonna help them understand the good news. It does require preaching and proclamation. And notice here, it is given 
pride of place, it is first as it is every time in Mark's gospel. It is always there. The primary need is for us to clearly, winsomely, and persuasively share the good news with others. That's the primary need because no amount of loving, serving, praying, and caring for others can replace the clear proclamation of the gospel. Now, I bring this up because you know what? People oftentimes, nobody got really upset because we were handing out food and stuff at the beginning of COVID. When we were doing all those pop-up pantries, nobody called and said, you people are jerks for taking care of people who don't have food. They're not gonna do that. But if I offer to pray for you, you might be a jerk. And if I tell you that what you really need is Jesus, then you very definitely might be called a jerk. But the reality is we have to do that because that is our call as a disciple. Practical ministry is a great way to open the door. I remind you, why were the crowds there to be with Jesus? It wasn't because they wanted to hear what he was preaching, because their needs were being met. Jesus actually tells them that in John 6. In fact, he has to get on the crowd. Look, you're not chasing me down because I've been giving you the words of life. You're chasing me down because yesterday you were hungry and I filled your belly with bread. Okay? But practical needs, meeting people's practical needs can open the door, but we have to always be looking to share the good news because it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. And brothers and sisters, it is critical that we remember that. That is what we need. That is what everyone around us needs. Second thing, notice that he does, is that they might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This is spiritual warfare, okay? It is clearly there. And I'm gonna talk more about this in a coming week because we're gonna see next week Jesus really dealing with this topic of spiritual warfare. But disciples who are full of the Spirit and who share the gospel will inevitably come into spiritual conflict. There is no way, you know, geez, I just gotta get better because I can really preach the gospel of the kingdom and nobody's gonna mind. No, that's not true. Never, ever is that going to be true. In any culture, at any time, that is never going to be true. Satan is active, he is working, he is always going to oppose the message of the gospel. And as Jesus is making us into disciples, here's the good news. As powerful as Satan may be, he's not as powerful as the Son of God. And the Son of God has given that authority to the church, not to make much of us, but to be able to see men and women hear and understand the gospel. And so we are able then to confront the works and the strongholds of Satan that we are going to encounter as we're going back out into the crowds. They're going to be there. Now, this certainly does include literal casting out of demons, okay? Not something we run into all of the time necessarily, but it certainly does include that. That does actually happen today. But more often, what it's really is just spiritual warfare. This is a normal part of the Christian life. 
You can break the book of Ephesians down. I did a series a few years ago called Sit, Walk, Stand. You can break Ephesians down on those three verbs that are dominant in the three parts of, of Ephesians. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We have been justified. We've been born again. We've been given all of this grace. Therefore, we walk so that our character is becoming more like Jesus. We're walking with him. But then it inevitably leads to you better be ready to stand because you still have an enemy and he's going to come and you have to stand firm in the full armor of God able to do warfare. It is simply required of the people of God. And so we need to understand this. The call of being Jesus' disciples always entails being with Jesus to learn from him and to have him form my heart and my soul, and then being sent by Jesus back into the world to share the good news and to labor to drive back the kingdom of darkness. And we have to do both of those. Very often, individual believers, churches, whole groups of disciples, they tend to prefer one or the other. Okay, but we have to have both. That's what it means to be a disciple. So how do we apply this and we will come to the Lord's table? Number one is just a question of do I see that I have to be with Jesus? Now, this certainly begins with conversion, coming out of the crowd to be a follower of Jesus. And if, you, if you've never become a disciple of Jesus, this certainly includes that, that the Lord wants to have a personal relationship with you and you're not born in that relationship. We are born as Bob Dylan put it years ago in his song, "Save you know, stone cold dead when I walked out of the tomb. I mean, out of the womb. That's, or the tomb. Um, that's what we were. We, we were dead. That, that's, that is our natural state. So to be with Jesus begins with conversion. If you've never looked to him for salvation, I encourage you and urge you to do that. But even when we have, the majority of us here have, it's still a call for us to walk with Jesus each day. And this is why I took the time to say it's not just the 12. Well, the 12 needed to be with Jesus because, you know, they were the foundation of the church. No, every disciple needs to be with Jesus every day. You remember in the book of Proverbs, it says, those who walk with the wise grow wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. We become like those we hang around. Who are we trying to be like? Jesus. There's only one way to do it. Hang around Jesus. He is the wise. He will form and shape us. And so there's a question here for us that is addressed. Am I with Jesus regularly in word and prayer and worship? And please hear me. This isn't a legalistic thing. This isn't about, oh, I feel so bad. How many of you have noticed it's a broken, divisive, confusing mess of a world out there? Am I wrong? Am I overstating the case? I mean, it is a mess. You don't have to go out looking to take hits. You're gonna take them, okay? This is not about, oh, I just feel guilty. I need to. No, this is, this is the place where we find healing. This is the place where we find encouragement. So this is like, you know, not, you know, you need to eat. I do need to eat. <laughs> it's a good thing that I get to eat. It can be a joy that I get to eat. I need to rest. I need to sleep. I need to be with 
Jesus. We need the calming, reorienting, joyful experience of being with Jesus every day. And when I don't do that, what I'm actually saying is, I don't need calmness, I don't need peace, I don't need reorientation, and I absolutely do not want joy. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, but it comes from being with him. But it's very easy to let the noise of the crowd distract me from that. So I want to urge and encourage you to take time. And this is a great time. Ash Wednesday, Lent is starting. Now's a great time to just say, what can I do? And again, the the issue is not, please don't don't do this. You know, I'm I'm fasting from green-colored M&Ms. Okay, that's pointless. Okay? If you want to skip eating pork or whatever you're doing, you, you can do it. But the real question is, what can I cut out? Not even because it's necessarily sinful, but what can I fast from so I get more time to be with Jesus? Maybe that's TV. Maybe that's reading the newspaper. Maybe that's social media. Maybe, whatever it is. But what can I fast from so I can feast on time with Jesus? Let's take the next 40 days and take time to do that. It's a great opportunity to do it. Second question, uh, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Do I see that I'm being sent by Jesus? Now, I'm going to talk more about spiritual warfare next week. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come to that. But nonetheless, we're, we're sent by him, all of us. We're not here to be a holy huddle. It's not the call. It's not that, you know, well, different people, you know, some guys go to football games. Some guys, you know, some, some ladies do this or that, whatever. No, this, isn't, this isn't our hobby. We're disciples. We're the army of God. We have a mission of uh, God to carry out, something that he has commissioned and sent us forth. He is forming us to send us into the world. And so we don't love and connect with other believers, and I'm serving the church, and then I hope there's somebody to do the reach part. All of us are being sent to reach. All of us are part of that. And this is not about everybody going to a foreign land. Some of us are called to do that. This is not even about all of us standing on a street corner or going down to the docks and grabbing people and and forcing them to have a conversation. This means that there are, there are ways that we can go out, that we can pray for, and simply invite friends, co-workers, neighbors. Just invite, come and see. Come be part. Hey, you want to come to church with me on Sunday? You want to gather and experience what God is doing in the midst? I became a believer just simply because somebody invited me to go hang out with a few Christians. And then God started working in my life. Okay, and I was far from the kingdom of God when that happened. I've shared before, honestly, my biggest motive was the girl who asked me was cute and I wanted to get with her. Really bad motive. Jesus can work with anything. Okay? Just invite somebody. Just encourage them to come along. Um, We've even got things like the Cooking Connect group and the the Craft Connect group where, where people can just come in and start getting around and start building relationship and then that opens up opportunity to get to share the gospel with someone. I want to encourage us to think to do it. We're going to have increasing opportunities for reaching out to our community coming up here. 
uh, that, that we're laboring and working on. Be looking for ways uh, to serve. And I want to encourage you. Remember the 12 are kind of models? Somebody help me. How good do the 12 look in the Gospel of Mark? The bar's really low. <laughs> it is. Just, just look at Peter and say, I can at least be that bad. I mean, it's a pretty low bar, okay? Because it's Jesus who's doing the work. It's Jesus who's going to accomplish it. The question is, am I just going to be willing to be open and say, you know what, I'll just reach out and share with somebody. No matter how much I stumble or bumble or whatever else, God can use it. That's what he's calling and encouraging us to do. And, you know, the key things to realize is the disciple of Jesus, you are blessed. If you're with him every day, you're going to walk out and say, I am blessed. Lord, how do you want to extend that blessing to somebody? How can I extend what you're doing to share with them? So we're going to now come to the Lord's table. And what we're going to do today, it's going to be very simple. I want us to focus on just being with Jesus. If you're here and you're a believer, there are many aspects we focus on at the Lord's table. And some weeks, we're really asking the Holy Spirit to deeply probe my heart for sin. And that's appropriate. Some weeks, it's about thanksgiving for what Christ has done. But one aspect of this, the, the Lord's table has given many titles in Scripture and church history, and one of them is communion. Because at this table, we commune with Jesus. We are with him. If you're here as a believer, I want to encourage you today, spend time with him in these next couple of minutes. Let the Lord speak to you, encourage you. Don't, don't, don't think he is not here to push you away because of your sin. He's not. He is gracious. He is kind. He knows sins you don't even know you have. He just does. But he loves us and he wants to be with us. If you are a disciple, you will never approach the Lord and have him say, well, you might want to be with me, but I don't want to be with you. He wants to be with you and me. So let's come to the Lord's table and receive from him. For what I receive from the Lord I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood which is poured out so that all of your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this all of you in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we live in a world that is full of disappointments and where we fail, people push us away, sometimes never wanting to have a relationship with us again. But as we take this bread, the symbol of your body, we are reminded the lengths that you went to be with us. 
that you came and you took flesh. You lived and breathed and walked among us so that you could be with us. And even in that flesh that was broken and crucified, you have been raised and you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you are still with us. Truly, Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you today that we as your disciples can come and sit at your feet and be with you. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, as we take the cup, we are reminded again of the lengths to which you have gone to bring us in as your disciples, as your people. Lord, you shed your blood, for there was no cost too great because you love us. Even when we were not lovable, even when we had run away, you poured out your blood, you gave up your life to bring us to yourself. And so, Lord, we are grateful that you have made every access for us to come and to know and to be known. And like the Apostle Paul, who even many years into walking with you said, I want to know Christ. Mm. Lord, that is our desire. We thank you that you have made the way that we can be the friends of God. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together and pray and then receive the Lord's blessing. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you've removed every barrier so that we can be with our God. Father, your, the heart of your covenant promise and word to us is I will be your God and you will be my people. And though we failed and threw up so many obstacles in the way, though Satan would stand and accuse Lord, you have overcome every obstacle. You have shut Satan down. And you have made us your people. And Lord, we are grateful that we can look and say, you are our God. Lord, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon us today and each day this week. Lord, we read that the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, and upon the prophets, that your word came to them, that as the Spirit came, you would speak. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would bring your word to each of us this week, that we would be with Jesus and we would hear his word and it would form and fashion and shape our very soul. Lord, I pray as well that, uh, Lord, as we think of Martha and Mary, that we would be like Mary. This week, we would choose the better part. Whatever else is going on, Lord, that we would sit at your feet. That we would just behold you by the Spirit of our God. That, that we would hear your word, Lord, Lord like the, uh, and, and as we 
do that each day this week. Then coming next week, it would be like in Revelation 1 where the Apostle John on the Lord's day was caught up in the Spirit. And he beheld you. And he heard your word. And he was formed and changed. And he worshiped you. Lord, I pray you would do that in us. Lord, stir up our hearts that more than anything else, we would desire you. Not even what you can do for us, just you. And that, Lord, we would take the opportunity you've made so we can be with you. And then, Lord, as we do that, we continue to pray that, Lord, you would extend your kingdom through us Lord, there are so many around here that they don't see how beautiful you are yet. They don't understand who you are yet. Lord, we pray that you would continue to extend your kingdom, that you would draw more and more people in. One thing is certain, Lord, there will never be too many people to praise you for how great you are. So Lord, extend your kingdom. Draw in more call forth out of the crowds here in Maryland and bring them out to be your disciples. Lord, we thank you that you hear us, that you've allowed us to worship you, that you have met us today as we have prayed, as we have sang, as we have opened your word, as we have come to your table. You are a faithful God. Lord, be with us as we go forth, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now may you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. May he by his spirit reveal that you are blessed. Then go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.